0: Hi, this is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast, where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. I believe that we all have an innate need to be seen, heard, and understood. When we dedicate ourselves to kindness, the ripple effects in our schools can be life-changing. Through this podcast, I want to challenge you to question your assumptions amplify your insight, and embrace a willingness to go beyond the status quo in education. Together, let's learn how to make a big impact, one small act at a time. In this episode, you'll hear how Sleeping on the Streets taught these grade 8 students an unforgettable lesson about homelessness, I interview a passionate middle school teacher to learn how he was able to navigate understandable constraints to implement such a dramatic real-life lesson in empathy, and how you can bring elements of his approach into your own practice. You'll also hear from three students whose lives were forever changed as a result of their experience. Get ready for your mind to be blown by this assumption-busting episode. Alan Barwin is a teacher at Central Middle School in Victoria, Canada, where he specializes in Grade 8 French immersion, media and social justice, and outdoor and environmental education. Activities like the annual Grade 8 overnight trip to the San Juan Juan de Fuca Trail, connecting with local homeless communities, and fundraising and awareness-building campaigns for social justice causes are now part of the fabric of his school. When not teaching, Alan can be found exploring the wilds of Vancouver Island by canoe, kayak, and foot, reading and writing, and spending time with his wife, Pam, and their three daughters. For more information, visit my website, smallactbigimpact.com, and search for episode 25. Thanks so much for listening. I wanna thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. These are some of Alan's students sharing their experience
1: I learned that living on the streets is really hard and that there's a lot of things that homeless people don't have other than houses that we don't even think about like loneliness or people judging them and stuff like that. I found that everybody has a story and I thought that a lot of homeless people's stories had to do with drugs and some of them do. but they're not usually the homeless person's fault,
2: hi, I'm Camille, and um, I was part of the homelessness study and sleep out this year. Used to think that in homeless people's lives, there was all a certain connection with the choices that you made. in certain cases, that can be true that it's part of you and what choices you make, but a lot of the time, it's really unfair where family members and friends and close ones and loved ones and sometimes even strangers can have an impact on your life so much that you can end up without a home and on the streets. Learning that everyone has a different story, I realized that there's a lot of respect that's lacking. How you need to understand that you can't really know about somebody else's struggles and what's going on in their life that has led them where they are and that it's not over when, they, when you're on the streets. You can get over that as long as you can have help because help is so important and disrespect, it isn't helpful. Um, I learned that life is so much harder in the streets. Um, I always assumed that it was the homeless' fault that they were on the streets.
0: So I want to dive right in and talk a little bit about what drew me to you and, and to your project. In February of 2017, I believe, using cardboard and yoga and inflatable mats, nine of your grade eight media and social justice students camped outside Central Middle School in downtown Victoria, BC, to gain insights into living on the street. Can you explain the origin of this project and your decision to champion it?
3: Um, This group of kids signed up for this class to learn about issues in our community and around the world, and one of the things that became really apparent to us, just looking around the city and going on our explorations, talking to people in the community, is that homelessness is it's a big issue in Victoria. Um, our school is located close to downtown. We've had people sleeping out on our steps, and there's a homeless shelter that opened up across the road from our school three years ago that opened and closed, and it's something that's very present in the kids' lives. So, as we went on our discussions about what we'd like to learn more about, the kids wanted to learn about homelessness, why people are on the street, and what they can do to help. So, we just, the the project evolved from the kids wanting to know more.
0: Interesting. And you decided to go with it, because obviously, in terms of social justice, it's one of the most relevant ones that we observe on a day-to-day basis in Victoria.
3: Absolutely. The, it's a really clear example of how some, for some people in our society, life isn't equitable. There's issues that they face every day that other people don't face. And if we can learn about it, hopefully we can make changes in our societies so that everyone has an equal chance to succeed.
0: I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that actual day rolled out and what the experience of that, that day and that night was like from your perspective, but also how you heard it from the students.
3: Um, it was actually the culmination of weeks of study. We talked to the Victoria Police, had their homeless outreach people come in. We'd spent a day or part of a day at our place um, doing a tour of the facility, talking to the people that work there and to some people on the street. And we'd also spend a bit of time walking around Victoria and talking to people, finding out what their experience is, um, not having a home or having challenges in life. Um, So that all gave us things to think about as we were getting ready for the day. We were, I guess, coming back from one of these walks downtown and someone suggested, well, we should try sleeping out and lots of ideas were thrown around. Should we go to Beacon Hill park? Should we, um, sleep in a doorway Mm -hmm. and it came up that maybe the safest place for grade eight students to sleep out would be actually on the porch of our school, which, as I said, sometimes people do end up sleeping there overnight. Yes. So we met earlier in the day during this school to just go over everything that we needed. Um, I had done lots of communication with the parents, of course. Yes. The kids had, we talked about what things we might need. So a sleeping bag, something to sleep on, and the kids thought, well, what's more realistic? We could bring camping mats or someone thought, let's just grab some cardboard boxes like they'd seen with people when we were out um, in the city.
0: Right. To reflect that more authentic experience.
3: Exactly. Right. Uh, so we met at school at 8 o'clock in the evening and did a little bit of a pre-discussion, what this is going to look like, what the, um, what the night would be like, safety procedures. And then everyone had a last chance to get ready inside, get ready for bed, and we just set up on the porch. And it was an evening in February. It was raining a little bit, and so not the most pleasant of yes, bed out, um, but that was okay, and also where we were, there was quite bright light, so it wasn't a place that I'd choose to sleep out, but it was out of the rain and it was protected, so it was for us at night and for other people it would be a good place to to sleep out,
0: sure, and safe in terms of you know the as far as the kids were concerned.
3: Mm-hmm. and we always had the option of if things got really awful, we could slip inside the school. Right. Um, But, and then we spent the entire night outside.
0: Wow. What an experience that must have been.
3: Mm -hmm. It was interesting as the night went on, um, we experienced things that people on the streets might experience. Um, There was some security that came around and gave us a bit of a hard time. They, even though I'd called ahead um, to let the security company or the shelter across the road know that we'd been, we would, be, we would be there that message didn't come through it's people were saying what are you doing here and and the kids were a bit shaken up that oh maybe we're in the wrong place and we should move on right um, but we talked that out um there was people walking past skateboarding by um there was sirens coming from the fire hall across the road so it wasn't really a, a peaceful night
0: no i'm sure they didn't get much sleep at all <laughs>
3: <laughs> Not so much, we were pretty tired the next day.
0: I'm really interested to know some of the assumptions that the students had about homelessness before they had their experience sleeping outdoors what was What were some of the biggest surprises or realizations that the students had as has sorry, pardon me as a result of this experience?
3: I think it it definitely gave them an appreciation of the differences between their own lives and the lives of, of people on the streets. Um, just the idea of having a a safe place to go to the bathroom, to sleep, um, to, to stay warm that they have every day, but they really appreciated how much they had and how life is challenging for people on the streets. Um, there was no um, preconceptions that what we were going through was anything like reality. The kids knew this was one night, we're just trying it out, and the next morning we could go inside, get warm, have a good breakfast. They had warm, safe places to go home to, and they absolutely realized that people on the streets don't often have that.
0: Sure, and that, and I know that you've said that very clearly also, that there were no delusions that this was really close to reality at all, but what it did was allow the students to broaden their perspectives and to sort of challenge those assumptions about homelessness or what it might be like to spend the night outside and to do that on a repeated basis. But at the same time, the experience did still insulate them from the realities of homelessness, such as that compounding effect of mental health addiction trauma disabilities and even that deep-seated institutionalized poverty inequity that exists can you speak to that a little bit
3: um they through all of our research and meeting people over the weeks leading up to the sleeping out that was a very clear message that um one of the things i was really impressed about um, from the victoria police is that when they come to people on the streets they don't treat it as a crime they approach them and say what do you need because they know that people need mental health support they need health support they need um they need help uh, filling out forms getting a place to live and uh and that was very clear leading up to it that all those little things are part of what gets people on the street um no one chooses to to lose a job, to lose a home, to have a family or relationship breakup. Um, these things happen and people are left picking up the pieces. So for the kids, they um, developed an appreciation that to get off the street, it's not just, oh, here's some keys, it's all good, there's lots of factors, and it's an ongoing uh, series of supports that will help people get integrated back into mainstream society.
2: I also realize now that once you have that addiction, it's difficult to stop. And once you're out on the streets, and you're cold, and you're hungry, and people are walking by looking at you, acting like you're dirty, like you were some animal. You're, that's exactly the time when you feel really helpless, when no one's helping you, and the drugs are something you can turn to when no one else is
0: there. There still exists a really deep-rooted misunderstanding about the causes of homelessness, and I think often, as you said, it's not a choice. I don't believe that it's a choice, but many people do, and I think that people people wind up really judging judging homeless people based on their biases and their their assumptions about what that experience, what has brought them to that experience, and in terms of just what they see. And so often they'll judge them by the chapter in which they find themselves, but they won't really be thinking about the empathy piece, the compassion of what brought them there, and and potentially that maybe we're not actually that different from that person standing across from us who is homeless, that perhaps our lives at one point were very similar. And so I guess my question to you is, with this project, with some of the research that you've done, what did the students learn and maybe even what have you learned are some of those contributing factors that cause homelessness? Uh,
3: I think the biggest lesson for me and for the kids as well, is how everyone is, is human. Mm. We all start from the same place and it's things like mental health is a huge factor that allows people or um, it contributes to people not being able to, to hold a job. So they don't have money, so they can't pay rent. So they lose their home.
0: Right. And it's this cycle.
3: Mm-hmm. or to not be in a, again, with mental health, having difficulties maintaining a relationship with someone. Um, right. So their their home life breaks up and they need to, to find another place. And being in Victoria, like lots of places on the West Coast, housing is expensive. Nice. And it's going up more than a lot of people's income. So people are on the street just because they can't afford to pay the the rents in the city
0: that's right and they're getting squeezed out and we see that we see that really being a prevalent issue and it seems to be getting worse year by year
3: Mm -hmm. and there's lots of um of subsidized housing and um and community housing co-ops and things like that that are getting built but it's still hard to break into and you look at if someone is on welfare so much of their um, their welfare check will go into paying for rent and they barely have any money for food clothes transportation any of the other basic needs that we have
0: absolutely and I think about this and and I think about the the function of it really is about is about students really coming to terms with social justice issues in general and that homelessness was one one theme or or one thing that they came into contact with on a really personal basis because they saw it every day. It was across from their school. And what I think about when it comes to these social justice issues in relation to youth, I think it's so important for them to believe the following two things, that they have a voice and that their voice matters. And what are some of the lessons that you hope that your students learned from this experience as it relates to social, environmental, and global changes? And the impact that they might be able to make in the future based on their experience and the empathy that they may have gained with this one.
3: Something that I've seen so clearly throughout the project and since the project is um, that the kids have have shared that empathy with their families, with their friends, with the school. Um, We created a, a magazine that talked about homelessness, talked about our experience on the street, talked about the stories of the people we talked with, and through that, they've been able to open other people's eyes and let them know that these people on the street are like us and they just need a helping hand. They just need someone to, instead of looking away and, and shunning these people, um, just saying hello just smiling at someone on the street. And that might be enough to get that person through the day to give them the confidence to, to do a bit more. Yes.
0: I think that's such an important point. And I, you know, I've actually personally done a lot of thinking around this because I think the, it's difficult to look at these, these people who are Really, I mean, not everybody, but I think a lot of them are in a really desperate place, and it can it can be filled with despair and trauma and all of these different issues. And one's knee jerk reaction is to sort of look away because it just feels like too much. And I think even just that unbridled sort of um, unfiltered rawness of somebody before you who is in desperate need of support and help can be a real trigger point for people. And I think I think it sort of makes you look inward. And if you're not ready to uh, be okay with asking for help yourself, it can be really difficult to look these people in the eyes because ultimately, I think we always see ourselves in other people. And if it's too difficult to see that part of ourselves, it can be really easy to shut people down or shut them out. Who People who just bring that out in us, I guess, if that makes sense. So I've really reckoned with that myself and and sort of this idea of asking for help, but also being able to give it without, without this underlying judgment that because someone is in need of help, that somehow there's a power imbalance and just not buying into that narrative. And I think what that allows one to do is to actually ask for help yourself and that that's a really valuable piece as well have you Have you got is, thoughts on that?
3: Well, it is such a human thing. No one goes through life or any even goes through a day without having any kind of uh, difficulties or struggles or needing help mm-hmm. and, uh, and just recognizing that as you say in in yourself and being able to be open to people checking in with you and asking what you need and saying actually yeah I, I could use someone to talk to, I could use a hug or a smile. And recognizing that in yourself, absolutely, it makes you uh, more empathetic. And, and it's easier for you to give that to other people.
0: Yes. And I think without the strings attached, and without that that judgment piece, which is so important. Mm. So I know that you're a proponent for students taking ownership and agency, not only over their own learning, but on also communicating that learning in blogs and videos and social media accounts and through the school-based online journal that I think you referenced that FYI one. Is that the one you were talking yeah. about? Yeah, it was so cool to see that because I took a look and and for anyone listening, you should definitely check this out and we'll put the, the link in the show notes. But I think about this ability for students to share their learning and and the learning that comes out of their experiences. Why is it important for students to have ownership over that learning and for them to be able to, to figure out how to communicate it? Because I think a lot of educators want to do that, but it's really important to think about the why.
3: What I'm trying to do as an educator is, is actually give student's agency, give them power. I can throw them as much information as I feel like at them. And if they don't know what to do with it or how to make it into something that, that makes a difference in their own lives or someone else's lives, then I'm not doing my job.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: if, um, if they can see the value in their learning by creating something by making community connections by sharing a message then it's not becoming their own learning but it becomes our community learning and that just makes our school our class our whole community a richer place and everyone can benefit from from what we're learning
0: I agree and I think that's ultimately the the most important skill really to have I'd say in this in this future which is very uncertain and the old way the more industrialized model of education and also of of jobs and and seeking employment and all of that it's sort of dissolving before our eyes and I think that piece is something that sticks when when our students are able to apply their learning and to demonstrate understanding in that critical thinking piece, the empathy, the compassion, to see really big problems in the world and not shy away from attempting to solve them just because they're hard problems. I think that is such an important lesson that will stay with them for the rest of their lives, that will help them to be able to be adaptable in this new world. And I think that's a tremendous gift that you've given them and that you're passing that baton really by giving them that agency over their own learning you're saying i believe in you and that i have tremendous faith that that you will find the way i'm here to support you and i think that's a really important thing for teachers to realize because quite often i think you know in this age of inquiry based learning and all of this some teachers can get very very overwhelmed and really want to cling to the certainty of the old model and mm-hmm. i think the thing is is it's not certain and realizing that our role perhaps has changed, as you said, it's not a stand and deliver content-based model anymore. It's really about about harnessing these students with the skills that they need to be adaptable in the future. And I think these types of real life experiences help them to do that and give them a roadmap for for using those skills with different topics and different issues. So I think it's wonderful.
3: And, and even on the micro level, I, I tell my students that every day and every moment, we have a chance to make the world a better place. So it's not just these big projects, but every word we say to someone else, our actions, um, our expressions, all that will create positive energy in our classroom and in the world. And they can choose to do that or choose to add negativity and make the world a less good place. So I encourage them to, to take the positive route.
0: Yes, and I think that's actually a really important point. And when I think about that within the context of I do the twenty one day challenge with mm-hmm. with students and have launched that at different schools, and that's often the message too, is that it can be quiet kindness. It can be kindness that you don't need to be sharing that only you know about and the other person knows about. And it's sometimes as simple as acknowledging acknowledging someone in front of you. And like you said, the eye contact, the the greeting or just doing something kind without that need for, for, uh, reinforcement. Right. And so I think you're right. And I think there's some real, there's neuroscience behind it that, that fundamentally our brains are wired for that kind of kindness and that it, it brings us together. It creates a sense of belonging. And like you said, I think it ultimately changes the culture of a school, a classroom, a workplace. Like I think when we all feel like we're, we're seen and heard and understood, or at least people are interested in trying to understand us. There's so much value to that. So I agree, I think sometimes it is it is most valuable in the small the small gestures.
2: Um, and that
3: feeds off itself as soon as people start feeling the positive coming from one action, they're more likely to pass it on to someone else or continue with that their positive interaction.
0: Yes. And it is, it's contagious. And even, even again, like back to the neuroscience, they, they've seen that with the mirror neurons and with the, the hormones that, that are in our bodies. Like we, we actually, those areas of our brain light up when we see kind acts, just witnessing kind acts will, okay. will make that happen, which is so interesting. Um, This is not the first time that you've been involved with and helped students to pursue grassroots kind of change-making projects. In 2009, you encouraged and supported students in creating videos for youth-founded environmentalism and stewardship of the earth. You've been interested in encouraging them to change that dominant consumerist paradigm and their attitudes and behaviors to restore the health of our planet. So why video... And why is it important for the students to be creating this really for themselves or each other?
3: Um, so, this was a project that I did through my uh, master's in environmental education and communication. And uh, An Inconvenient Truth had come out a couple of years ago. And for me, it was a really eye opening, inspiring film. Me too. And I thought, great, that works for me, but what will work for these kids that I'm working with? Mm. And so I put the challenge to the kids to create um, messages for their peers to help them understand environmental issues and encourage their peers to make changes. And they could have used any medium they wanted, but they decided to work in video, and they could have brought in experts, and I encourage them to and introduce them to lots of people but they decided that the best way to get messages um, to their peers was using their own um, uh, their own modes of communication so at the time YouTube was just taking off and so that was the, the main mode of communication um, peer-to-peer for youth and their videos were not anything fancy or slick, but it was someone talking to their friend, this is a problem, here's how you fix it. Mm. And after we shared the videos with the school, it, um, we did a survey and the student body responded so well to those videos and said they would go on to, to change their behavior and their attitudes.
0: Wow, that's incredible. So it actually worked.
3: Yes, yeah, so I'd love to do a follow-up study to see how those kids are 10 <laughs> down the road. But um,
0: but I think that's a really interesting point because I think at the end of the day, what that what that really communicates is that when students are able to teach one another, that that, in, that results in them actually being inspired to make change. So when I think of any social justice movement or anything in the environment, the same thing goes is when it's coming from from your friend, from a peer, somehow it holds more weight than when it comes from a teacher or an adult or someone with quote unquote authority. So it's, it's a really interesting point in terms of how do we mobilize youth to take action on issues that really matter. So I think that's really, yeah, it's a significant point. I want to talk a little bit about the how. So when we go back to that project of the kids sleeping outside, this is a super inspiring project. And I have no doubt that other people will also demonstrate an interest and and have already done so in launching similar projects in their cities and schools, but um, I can already hear people wondering about how. So... I can imagine there were a lot of interactions with the school district and your leadership team to actually bring this project to fruition. So how did you first present this project? And what were some of the steps you took to ensure student safety and to get the parents on board and to get the district to sign off on such a project?
3: I remember approaching my principal and saying, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to sleep out in front of the school (laughs) on this night. And I I think his jaw dropped right the way to the floor. I bet. (laughs) I talked about um, how it would just be the group of um, a dozen or less students with two or three adults. And it would be right at the school. We'd start at eight o'clock. I had a key to this. The school so we could get in in case there's any emergencies um we had i allowed the kids to have their cell phones with them so they could um they could post to instagram as we were out there and also for emergencies
0: sure and
3: um i guess i've been um pushing things with my administrator with my school for years taking kids camping and um doing all sorts of other projects um and because we had done all the our homework, we'd been down to the homeless shelter. We talked to the police and the police did come by and check on us in the evening um, as we we're going to bed. And in the morning they came and the um, homeless outreach officer came and actually made breakfast for our kids at the school. Aww. Um, so having all, all the those background activities so the kids knew what they were getting into, um, the security company across the road, the police, our school administration, everyone was on board and um, had all the information. And I remember also asking my principal, so what forms do my kids have to fill out? Is this a (laughs) regular field trip or a special field trip? And he called the school board and uh, they said, "Uh, we don't know, we'll have to call you back. (laughs) And in the end, it was just a regular... um, overnight field trip for him. And I had all the parents' phone numbers and and permissions, um, um, before we spent the night out.
0: That's great. I have to say, uh, this was, this was a special club. Like a, was it sort of an exploratory style class? Because it wasn't a general class of 30 kids. Uh, it was kids who elected to do this. Is that correct?
3: That's right. With our grade eight French immersion program at Central, we have, um, Twice a year, the kids get to choose an applied learning um, class. So I was doing the media and social justice. Another teacher was having the kids write and perform a play at a local community theater. And the other teachers were having the kids do science fair and put on a circus. So all this was going on (laughs) um, in the first half of the year. A circus Uh, of of its own. (laughs) It was It was wonderful. So so the kids that chose to work with me were really interested in social justice issues and they were really interested in communication. So we learned about journalism, we learned about photography, about video, about social media, and it all came together in this um, final project of sleeping out in front of the school.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing a little bit of the roadmap because I think some people go, okay, yeah, I don't think I could do that. But I think what you've done is you've given a little bit of background in terms of how you would go about setting that up, setting the kids up and laying the foundation so that this type of a project would work. Because obviously it would be very, very challenging to just jump right into a project like this and have it work. So you'd want to do it in such a way that you set up those uh, checkpoints as you went along. So thank you for sharing that. I, I have to say, I, um, I, looked up this project by one of my ex-students, and I was totally delighted and deeply moved when I learned that she, uh, and I believe she's now one of your students, uh, heads up the Faces of Victoria project, which was inspired by Humans of New York. And essentially my understanding of it is that it features a variety of different individuals from all walks of life in sort of a photojournalistic way uh, on Instagram. And so I believe that we all, and I think I've mentioned this before, but we all have this innate need to be seen and heard and understood. And I see that project and I'm so encouraged when students are not only able to internalize and actually become inspired by this human need for connection, but then to act upon it. Can you speak to this project and how it came about and how you've been able to support it?
3: Sure. That this was the, um, the media and social justice class from a year ago that right. put that together. Right. So again, we've been talking about all kinds of issues. We've been talking about racism and homophobia and acceptance and, um, and homelessness as well. And the kids and I stumbled across humans of New York and they said, we should do that for Victoria. Yes. So we spent a few, well, probably a couple of months, um, walking out from our school and talking to people on the street and saying, Hey, we're doing this project for school. Could we take your picture and can you tell us your story? And that was so wonderful. Again, making connections with people, realizing that we're all the same. We all have the same needs. We all have all kinds of different backgrounds, but we're, we're all human. So we went um, outside stores. We went to different areas of town uh, we went to visit the homeless shelter um, uh, down Pandora Street, and one of the staff people there sent people to us to to talk to us and to share their stories. And all of those we um, recorded and put up a bunch of them on Instagram.
0: I think it's so amazing, and I I think back to this project because I think a lot of people, when I refer to the project, I mean the the kindness challenge is that people have expressed a real desire to get involved. And I think sometimes it can be difficult to know how to express and demonstrate that type of kindness and to create a culminating project that that really demonstrate this ability to see one another. And I think a project like Faces of Victoria is very doable. It's Mm -hmm. got so many different intrinsic lessons within it around belonging, empathy, you know, our bias uh you know putting our assumptions on hold really digging into the background of people's stories and narratives and context and all of that piece like a positive psychology lesson you know and Excellent. and I just think it's such an inspiring way of approaching this so I think you've done some really wonderful work in your classroom and your students are incredibly lucky to have you thank you yeah
3: <laughs> I feel I'm lucky to have them I take uh a lot of lead from the kids. They say, we want to learn about this, or can we try this? And if possible, I'll, I'll try to make it happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Are there any other spin off projects that you, that you have sort of in the works or that, that have, uh, have been inspiring that you can think of?
3: Um, one of the things I do start off with just my class, and now we take all the grade eights from Central Middle School. At the end of every September, we take each class out to the Juan de Fuca Trail to a wilderness west coast beach for one night Mm. and a lot of that is to um, well grade 8 for us is a rite of passage. Our society doesn't have many rites of passage um, so we've made grade 8 that and the first step of it for us is taking these kids and having them have this um, physical emotional challenge a lot of them have never been out camping on a wilderness beach they've never hiked down walking on rocks and down steep hills um, and once they're out there they're in this phenomenal beautiful place and again that's to really them to make a connection not necessarily with people although they do connect with their their classmates and the staff that are with them but empathy and connection with the natural world mm. and it's it's so important to have that connection, to feel safe, to understand what wilderness is like, what how we're all connected to um, to our planet, and then we can come back to school, and the kids will maintain that connection, and in our teaching, we can always come back to that.
0: That's incredible, and I think that must just bond your group together so so effectively, too, I can imagine.
3: Mm-hmm. They're, they work in small groups, who work as a whole class, and... and they just get to know each other and i get to know them in a way that i never could in the classroom.
0: Absolutely. I think that's incredibly inspirational and i think i think a lot of teachers would stand to benefit from from that example and and really to be able to open your your mind to being able to do something like that and to see that other other schools and other districts are doing projects like this so it's not just about standardized testing and that there's tremendous value in providing these students with real life rich experiences that connect them as you said not only to one another but to the world around them so thank you I think this is a really great place to leave off. And what I'm going to do is we're going to switch gears a little bit and jump right into those rapid fire questions. But before we do, is there anything that you wanted to add about, about what you're doing uh, that you haven't had a chance to share?
3: Just that for me, it's, it's exciting for the kids are learning so much, but for me, it's, it's such a thrill to be learning so much from the kids, from the experiences that we're doing together and, teaching is more exciting for me now than when I started.
0: Yeah. I can imagine 20
3: 20 plus years ago.
0: Wow. Could you define what kindness means to you?
3: Um, kindness is being your best self.
0: Mm. What one skill or superpower does a teacher need to lead with in order to be effective?
3: I think a teacher needs to have openness to believe that everyone can succeed.
0: Mm. What one skill or superpower does a principal need to lead with to be effective? Trust. Mm.
3: Believe that their teachers and their staff know what they're doing and know what's best for the kids.
0: What book or media have you drawn inspiration from and either gifted to people or suggested to people.
3: I guess I have always loved Winnie the Pooh, and just simple messages and that uh, acceptance of of everyone that's shown in it.
0: What message or quote would you print on one of those quote cups that are sold in big bookstores that would be read by millions? Uh, <laughs>
3: Um, there's a, well, it's about education. Uh, there's a great quote by Elliot Wiginton that did the Fox Fire programs in West Virginia years ago. And he said, if I'm doing something the kids can do, then I'm doing it wrong.
0: Thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I really appreciate you jumping on
1: board.
3: Oh, it's been my pleasure.
1: Kindness means acceptance and understanding that Everybody's human, and that even if somebody has something different than you, that doesn't mean you can't find a similarity with them. We all have similarities, even somebody who you think you're so different from.
2: It's really difficult to stabilize yourself when you're in that environment, and I think that it's really important that we help each other in our community, no matter if you
0: have a home or not.
2: Uh, kindness means respecting uh, others for what they are,
1: and doing good deeds to help others.
0: This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast, and choose this episode number. Now I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies and inquiry-based approaches to creating a kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness Can't wait to hear from you.